0: couple things briefly before we climb into uh, the rest of our worship and song and our um, time of receiving a word from the Lord through preaching. Christy and I and my family were in Yellowstone last week, and I was reading through the Psalms in Yellowstone, just something about being outside and being in a really beautiful place that uh, Psalms seems appropriate. And I read this Psalm, Psalm 16, says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Being with my family in Yellowstone is always a cherished time for me and a joy. But as I read verse 3, I thought about this church. and I thought about this amazing people. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Christy and I have made no... uh, effort to hide the fact that we don't like Greenville geographically. We don't. We like to be outside running trails or mountains or streams or something, but there's no place we would rather be. We're there in Yellowstone and we're thinking about the saints in the land of Greenville, the excellent ones that we are just delighting in and enjoying the Lord with. Yesterday was a great picture of that. Just never seen a people like this, never seen such a responsive, teachable, humble low authentic people. It's a delight to walk with y'all. This morning I want to pray uh, for our time together that it'll be sweet, that it'll be intimate, that it'll be authentic. I want to pray for our little ones, kids. Lots of us haven't spent, a, we've spent our lives in church and we've never been in a church like this. God's grace toward you in sitting and hearing the teaching and preaching of his word, the authentic worship of His name, week by week, is a treasure, and kids, you need to appreciate that. I'm going to pray for that, I also want to share with you an email. I got it this morning. This Sunday morning, they they're like 12 hours ahead of us, so they've already experienced Sunday, so if you ever want to know what's coming up in your next day, call them, and they'll tell you what happened. <laughs> this Sunday morning, I was trying to get my mind working in Russian prior to our house church gathering. As I've been going through the book of John, I'll first read it in Russian and try to make my own translation into English. This helps me think through it anew and learn many words I didn't know. Meanwhile, we were just talking yesterday about how we both felt blah. We've made the transition back. The kids are finally sleeping normally after jet lag, and the excitement of being back in Kazakhstan usually doesn't last long. It's really slow here in our city now as most friends are gone or on vacation. Literally, it seems like a ghost town. So it's been hard to reconnect with people, as we des- and, and we desire to make some new friends. There's been some good news since coming back and some tough news. One visa being granted for a teammate while another's being denied. Some local friends doing well spiritually, while others have fallen away in surprising fashion. Worrying about our kids' education here. Make the progress in Russian language. She needs to make friends and do well in school. A couple of M families, friends of ours, are really struggling with health issues and questioning if God wants them to stay here. We're wondering the same. Why are we even here? We miss our friends and our family. This is a family just like you. That's what you got to hear as I continue to read this. They're made of the same stuff that you're made of. They have the same desires, likely, that you have. We're wondering the same. Why are we here? We miss our friends and our family, the fellowship back home. People are really struggling here financially, but we see that it's really a spiritual struggle. In this environment, it's harder for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So back to John. So I just happened, he puts in quotes, to come upon the beginning of John 14 this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I don't know the word in Russian in verse 1, or I didn't know the word in Russian. Then after the context and remembering a sermon a few weeks back, I was reminded that it was troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. There's lots of good reasons to be troubled, but believe in God and believe in Jesus. He has a plan in all this mess. He's prepared a place for us. Of course, we're troubled in this world, in this place, because this is not the place. Our place will be with Him in eternity. But what about the Kazakhs? He has prepared a place for them too. Jesus has shown us the way to go, but most Kazakhs don't know the way. Please pray for the Kazakh people. Let's pray. Lord, a couple things we want to lift up this morning. First, we want to engage you authentically. I pray that if any of us have this desire to get that check in the block or get our church on this morning... That you will arrest us with the reality that we are standing, kneeling, seated before the throne of the living God. Lord, I pray that as we sing, as we are expressing these amazing realities back to you, that we will engage these realities, that we'll not sing and harmonize and think about how beautiful it sounds, but that our hearts will engage the truths, the amazing, scandalous truths that we are expressing back to you that you've revealed to us. Lord, I pray that we will consider it an amazing grace that we are even able to express these things back. I pray that our kids, six-year-olds, can realize that it's an amazing grace that we sit here week by week dining on life-giving food. Lord, I pray that we as a church can engage wholeheartedly, unreservedly. Lord, to pray, too, that whatever problems that we bring here this morning, that we can set those problems aside and just lay our lives bare and that we'll be exposed to the life-changing power of the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pray for them in their blah as we pray for ourselves in our blah that we see every day uh, as stewards with opportunities, divine appointments, stewards as gardeners over little plots of soil called our lifetimes, little relationships that always seem insignificant that are not insignificant if we're engaging you in those settings, that we'll be attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through our lives, on our neighbors, on our friends, on our workmates, on our families. Lord, we beg for your fame and your renown and your name and your glory among the Kazakhs among the Libyans, among the Moroccans, among the Somalians, among the Indians, the Chinese, the Japanese. Lord, we beg that you will be glorified in all the nations. And we beg for commission completion, that our Christ will come back. Lord, that we may be part of this work, that families in this body may be arrested with a call to the nations. Thank you so much for the sweet time that we have in store this morning, Lord. We anticipate a sweet meal. In Christ's precious, holy, perfect name we pray. Amen.
1: I want us to pray again together for another church in uh, our community. Pray for Highland Terrace and their leadership and their pastor this morning. And if you would um, join me in praying for them and for us. Um, Father, I am overwhelmed this morning and humbled that you continually put up with me and that you continually put up with us and I want to pray God that you would break down the walls of hostility between brethren and your people in this city that we would have same faith, different belief with no division and hostility I want to pray like Nehemiah that even me and my father's house have sinned. We've, we've played part in this. It's not other churches' fault. And I pray that you would start with us, break us, bring us to repentance over hostility and division. By your grace, keep us from playing our part in it any longer. And God, we pray desperately for the people and the leadership of Highland Terrace that they would worship you and enjoy you and that they would feed on worship and word and that would be their fuel this morning, that that would be their only fuel, that would be our only fuel this morning. And God, we pray that you would call out their people for your namesake. And that you would send their people for your namesake and spend their people for your namesake. And we pray that for Crosspoint, that you would spend us for your namesake and use us for your namesake. You've been so good to us, too good. And yesterday was a great reminder of how good you are and how generous you are, how faithful you are. And we praise you humbly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In keeping with um, this year of obedience that we seem to be in right now, um, Ben talked a little bit about that to start the year, that this is the year of obedience for us. As the elders have talked in the past few weeks and months, we've um, realized that we haven't um, really been able or had the opportunity to give real scope and understanding about this word missions. Uh, That conjures up so many meanings for us. Uh, That word has been beat up pretty bad. And when we talk about sending people out and sending people away and going on mission and doing missional things, man, that can mean an array of things. Just if we were to take a poll in here and you'd hear a hundred different things. And so what I hope this morning is is that we get proper scope and understanding of what missions is. This week, this Sunday, I want us to understand the why. Why are we here and they are there? Next week, I want us to look at the how. I want us to gain a scope and understanding of this word missions and what it is. I want us to be able to know how to do it biblically. What do we do that for? Why do we go on mission? Why are we missional? Do we do this? Do we go for more souls? Do we go so that there will be more numbers of folks pray a prayer and receive Christ? Is that why we do it? Is that the why? Is that where it ends ultimately? Is it to just increase evangelism numbers? Is that what it's all about? Because... We have many brethren that walk with us who say that. When I make the comment, or anybody makes the comment, there were so many people that got saved. This person, these numbers, these souls came into the kingdom. And I hear this phrase all the time. Well, that's what it's all about. Is it? I hope that we'll gain an understanding. Is that a bad thing? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, is that ultimate? Is that it? Is that why we go? This is not a plea or recruiting for missions, so if you're getting uncomfortable that I'm going to call everybody to leave everything and go, I'm not doing that this morning. I want us to gain an understanding of why we do what we do with this word called missions. I hope that it's a byproduct, though, that we consider the nations, that we consider His namesake Among the nations, I hope to connect the dots between perichoresis and let not your hearts be troubled and division and hostility with missions. Because for so long, missions has become something that's kind of disconnected from us. That's something that some people do and not all of us do. Some people are called especially to it, but not me. (laughs) I mean, that's cool and that's great and that's neat and I'll pray, but not me. That's a different disconnected calling. Missions is separate. And I hope that we can help clarify some of that. Here's the thing. If we don't get proper understanding, proper theology of missions, if we don't get a proper missiology, fancy words. If we don't get a proper understanding of why, we will always get it wrong. I love the FedEx commercials. I I love those. They're the best commercials on TV. And my favorite one is these five people sitting in a shipping department. And then there's Ned. He's in the shipping department, and he's the know-it-all. And the lady says, these, these shipments will be in Cleveland by Wednesday. And Ned says, oh, isn't FedEx kind of pricey? And this one guy stops what he's doing. He drops what he's doing. And he looks at Ned, and he says, Ned, you are always wrong. I love that. That, I don't know why that cracks me up. I was hesitant sharing that because it can't be as funny when you share it. Look it up on YouTube, FedEx. Ned, you are always wrong. I love how it just sums up and is subtle. If you ever don't want to argue with somebody, just look at them and go, hey, you know what, you're always wrong. That'll end an argument and you don't have to mess with it, especially if you're walking with a know-it-all. So, as God's people, if we take off and endeavor to do missions and be missional, and we don't have proper understanding, we will always be wrong. Brad, Crosspoint, you are always wrong when you go without this. When you go without any proper understanding, it might look good, it might feel good. We may go because what feels right, what anecdotally seems right, but if we don't have proper understanding, we will always drift. We will always be wrong. Brad, you will always be wrong. Without proper understanding, theology, missiology. Do you see it? And so I'm going to borrow some terms here from a book called Unveiled at Last by Bob Shogren. And he uses this terminology called top line, bottom line. As we investigate, where is our theology of going? Where is our theology of sending? Where is our theology in missions? We look at the scriptures and we see two types of scriptures. There's a top line scripture. And the top line is this. God, bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Give us what we need. Prosper us. Do it for us. There's this top line blessing. God makes promises to us. He gives us grace. He gives us good things. All good gifts come from the Father. Top line. And the bottom line is his namesake among the nations. And if you think what top line, bottom line, what is that? We are very good at knowing and, and cherishing top line verses. We know the top line that we love to memorize the blessing and the promises. But if that's where it ends, then the blessing and the promises are terminal with us. But ultimately, the scripture teaches us that blessings come for his name's sake among the nations. That's it. That's why we're blessed. Just to illustrate a little bit for you, if I were to ask somebody, what does Psalm 4610 mean?" Uh, say? Some of you would probably be able to recite that. Others wouldn't. But if I said, be still and? And you would say, know that I am God. That's the top line of that verse. There's a second part of Psalm 4610. And the second part says, now we know the top line. Everybody's memorized, be still and know that I am God. Some of us even know that that's Psalm 4610. There's a second part to that verse that says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be lifted up in all the earth. Top line, bottom line. We love top line scripture because it's about us. We love the top line. Psalm 67, God, make your face shine upon us so that you will be lifted up in the whole planet. That's my paraphrase. But there's a top line in Psalm 67, 1 and 2. And then there's a bottom line. And you can see it all throughout Scripture. Top line, bottom line. And the top line is God bless us. God moves in our direction. He gives grace. He redeems. He provides. He protects. He heals. Why? For our sake? Is that where it ends? No. He provides. He heals. He protects. He redeems for his namesake among the nations. That is where it ends. That is the end, and that is the goal. His namesake, and that's bottom line. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. I want to show you quickly here. Top line, bottom line. The whole of Scripture is engineered toward God acquiring His people for His namesake from all nations. That's the engineering of Scripture. That God is redeeming and collecting and building a people from all nations for His namesake. And so if we stop at God bless us, God give us what we need, then it ends with us. I want to show you top line, bottom line with Daniel. Now, many of you are familiar with this story. You know what happens to Daniel. You learned it in VBS, hopefully. I'm not going to read through the whole first part of the story. I want to start in verse 16. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. This is King Darius. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast to the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel... May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Skip down to verse 23. So Daniel's been thrown in the lion's den. Then the king, and he's, he's come out the next day. Daniel has been saved. Top line, blessing. Daniel is saved. The lions did not eat him. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. Top line. Daniel was obedient to not turn his allegiance and his worship and his obedience to anybody else but God. And he suffered the consequences. He was put in the lion's den for his namesake. It was God's namesake that threw him in the den of lions. That's what got him sent there was God's namesake. He wouldn't divert from God's glory and God's namesake. And it got him thrown in the lion's den. But God delivered. Top line. You see it? Keep reading. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Just to make sure that you understand these lions weren't just sleeping when Daniel was in there. The other people that got thrown in there were devoured before they hit the floor. Then King Darius did this. He wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Bottom line. Do you see it? Daniel gets delivered. He's saved. He's protected. What's the bottom line? Why? Because he was a good guy? Because he was obedient? No. So that Darius, in God's sovereignty, would say to all peoples, nations, and languages, Daniel's God is God. He receives glory from this story. It's not because Daniel's obedient. It's that the ultimate bottom line to this passage is that God would receive glory among all. Verse 25, then Carius wrote a decree to all Look at it. Peoples, families, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That is the goal. That's God's movement. That's his dance move is to, in the pericoretic dance, is to move for his glory and his namesake among the, all the nations, everybody. That's his scope. So top line, if we end with top line and we say, boy, we love these top line verses. I know Psalms 46. I know Psalm. 67, and I love this story about how God delivers a good guy that's obedient. If that's it, you know what this is for us then? This, this all of a sudden becomes our yearbook. Where am I? Okay, I got my yearbook. Where are me and my buddies? Let me look up to the back and find my name. I want to see where I am in here. And that's what we do when we stop at the top line. And we say, God, where am I in here? What do you have for me? What do you have for my family? How can you help my family make our car payment? How can you help our family get a nicer car? How can you help our family get a nicer house? How can you help our family provide more for my kids? How can you help me? And if it ends there, this is a yearbook and it's all about you. But there's a bottom line to scripture that I hope you'll see this morning. And it's all for his name's sake. And the goal and the target is the nation's. Entire scripture. We are great in North America at top-line Christianity. you got prayer, Jabez, prosperity doctrine. There's a lot of things that we could throw stones at and say, oh, that's top-line. They're all about themselves. We're not because we say we're for God and we're all about him and his glory. And we teach our kids that phrase in our catechism that we we exist for his glory. But do our lives play out top-line or do they play out bottom-line? Is it just something we say? Is it just something that we read in catechism? Or is it something that we live out? Do we live out bottom line lives? Or are our lives simply top line lives? We're very good at it. And we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Are we top line families? Are we top line dads and moms? Are we a top line church? Are we a bottom line church? That's the question. Bible isn't about us, but we approach it many times. There's two aspects to the bottom line that I want to show you here. There's two aspects. It's like a coin. If I were to hold a coin up here, there'd be heads and tails. There's two sides to this bottom line. There's two aspects that I want you to see. On this, on the, on this side of the bottom line is his namesake. You have to understand that first. He does all things for his, himself. He does all things. He operates. He moves. He redeems. He saves. He protects. He heals for himself, for his popularity, for his fame, for his renown and for his namesake. That's what he does. And on the backside, his goal, his target, his aim is every people, every tribe, every language, and every tongue. That's his goal. That's what he's doing. That's his paracritic dance move. And if we're top line, then we're out of rhythm in the dance. That's what he's doing. Two sides. First of all, let's look at his namesake. I just want to provide some scriptures here for you. all If you want to write them down, this will be Psalm 23.3, 3, Psalm 31.3, Psalm 79, nine, and 1 John 2.12. Listen for the bottom line. Listen for the top line. The top line exists for the bottom line. Listen to these passages. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, for his namesake. He restores me, top line. His namesake, bottom line. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You lead me and you guide me and you protect me. Top line. Why? For your namesake, bottom line. Help us, O oh God. O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. Why? For your namesake. Do all these things for your namesake. John writes about it in 1 John 2.12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Top line. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. There's always the bottom line. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 20. Ben was in Ezekiel chapter 16 recently showing us how we've been adopted. Bloody, left in a field. Umbilical cord still there. And so God has adopted us not by our merit, not as a concession to our worthiness, but He has adopted us. And in chapter 20 of Ezekiel, these adopted people are still not following him. They're still not obeying. They are still whoring with the world. He says it. They are still walking from what he says and doing whatever they want to do. And they're still not following his statutes and his commands. Verse 3, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 3. Son of man... Speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord, On the day when I chose Israel, back in 16, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them. I made a promise saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt and into a land that I had searched out for them. Verse 8. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away detestable things, their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them, and I will spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. They've walked from me. I've saved them, and they've walked from me. I promised I would save them. But then I said, I'm going to pour out my wrath on him." But, verse 9, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Do you see the bottom line here? His people have walked and disobeyed. And he says, I've promised you that I'm going to save you, top line. And I'm going to act, not in wrath towards you, but I'm going to act which is what you deserve, I'm going to act for the sake of my name among the nations. And I'm going to save you. Look at verse 13. But the house of Israel rebelled against me again in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statute, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to make full end of them. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll end this thing right here. And give you what you deserve. But. I acted. For the sake of my name. That it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Do you see the bottom line? He continually puts up with us. He continually gives grace. He continually redeems us. Why? For the sake of his name. Among the nations. And it has nothing to do. With pity or concession. Towards our worthiness and our merit. He does it for His glory, for His name's sake, And He saves. Verse 21, But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And they profaned my Sabbath. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them. But I withheld my hand and I acted. Why? For the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Top line, man, you're being saved. But it has nothing to do with your worthiness or your merit. This is no concession. Our salvation is no concession to our worthiness and our merit. It's not God saying, oh, you've, been, you've done all right, so come on. <laughs> That's not it at all. His anger and his wrath is towards us because we have nothing good to offer. And he says, I'm going to save you. For my name's sake. And you will be saved. For my name's sake. Among the nations. Do you see it? Here's the ultimate picture. Of the top line, bottom line. It's the cross. Christ dies. Resurrected. Empty tomb. We're saved. He says in Luke 24. He brought the guys into the upper room. And he says. Guys, let me me tell you the scriptures. This is all about your pardon. This is about you being forgiven. Ultimately. Ultimately. No more lambs to the slaughter. I'm it. Finished. Complete. You're pardoned for the sake of my name and the nations. We'll look at that verse in a minute. Jesus, top line, you're pardoned. And that doesn't end with you. And it's not for you. You have been saved for my name's sake and for my name's sake among the nations. That's the target. That's bottom line. He operates ultimately for his namesake. His grace towards us is no concession. And the ultimate top-line blessing is the cross. So what does that mean? That means he's probably less concerned about our comfort, our ease, our buildings, our ministry numbers, our checkbook number, our checkbook account, our worship bands, our reputation. You see what all fits outside of the bottom line? Everything else. Everything else is outside of his glory in the bottom line. Checkbook, our band, our paint, our buildings, our ministries, everything else secondary to his name among the nations. You know what else is outside that? The span of our life is outside the bottom line. The span of our life... Is not necessarily what he's so concerned about. He's concerned about his namesake among the nations in your salvation and my salvation, not the span of our life. That gets secondary to his name among the nations. Okay, the, the other side of the coin is his target is the nations. I want you to look quickly. We're going to flip quickly. We're going to start in Genesis, and I want to show you how the whole of Scripture is, top line, bottom line, is God blessing a people so that his name would be made great among the nations. And it starts in creation. Why did God create the world? Why did he create us? Why did he start with Adam and Eve? Why did he create a people? He did not create a people because he needed anyone. He created a people so that he could redeem them for his namesake among the whole world and receive glory among all nations, all peoples, all languages, and all tribes. That's the target. That's creation. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, Here's the promise. Here's the top line. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So that. That's a big so that. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of where? All of them or some of them? All of them. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through this covenant with Abraham we are blessed by Christ and his glory goes to all the nations and it's his namesake the blessing doesn't end with Abraham he was a knucklehead he failed miserably but God's grace said I'm going to bless this dude for my namesake and I'm going to bless it for my namesake so that every nation will see it and every nation will be blessed by it for my namesake Luke 24, the passage I just mentioned. Turn to Luke 24, and we're going to see top line, bottom line with Jesus' words. I'm I'm sort of wanting to move a little bit chronologically to help you. Genesis and creation, top line, bottom line. He moves, he promises, he creates for his namesake among all the nations. Luke 24, verse 45. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, this is Jesus in the upper room with His dudes, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, And the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. This is about forgiveness, your pardon. Where? For the nations, for my name's sake. Matthew 28. The Great Commission... Matthew twenty eight eighteen through 20. As Jesus promises to be with them, there's this top line authority that he's been given. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of who? All peoples, all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A trinity is put on display when you baptize in his name. My name is put on display when you teach and baptize all families from all nations in my name. It's his dance move. That's what he does. All nations. And we've been called to go. Why? Put a missions check in the block and say, oh, we do missions. And we do hard missions. We don't just do easy missions. We do really cool, hard stuff. And put the check on the block and go, boy, he must really love us. No. We go to make disciples for his namesake. That's why we baptize in his name, not Crosspoint's name. We baptize in his name. For his namesake. And Revelation 5. Revelation 5, verse 9. This is the song that we must all learn to sing because we'll be singing it a long time. They're already singing it now. Revelation 5. And they sing a new song saying, worthy are you, Lamb. He's talking about Jesus here. Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for who? For God. We're ransomed, top line, right? We're saved. For who? For him, for his namesake, we've been saved. From every, not some, every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. And priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Top line, bottom line. His target is the nations. Last passage, turn to Acts 1 8. I want you to see something. In this top line, bottom line talk, this terminology, we have to get something right. Acts 1 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the ESV. I want, you to, I want to read to you the New American Standard, which I think is a little bit better in translation here. Read, and I want to show you the Greek, and I'm really dancing on dangerous territory because I'm not a Greek scholar. But bear with me, and I'm really going to start pronouncing, mispronouncing some words too, so it's, it ought to be good. <clears throat> Acts 1-8, New American Standard but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both. New American Standard has both. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Acts eight. listen, this is where it hits the road for us. So what does this have to do with us? Acts one eight. Is not multiple choice. This is not a multiple choice question. This is not a multiple choice imperative. This isn't, you know, get to Jerusalem if you can. That'd be cool. Um, and it's Samaria if you can. Or start here and then work your way out. That doesn't work because these guys weren't from Jerusalem. They were Galileans. So it's not starting your hometown and work your way out. It's all. Both and. Our call to bottom line living for his namesake among the nations starts here. It is here. And it's in Kazakhstan. And it's in Africa. And it's in the backside of China and India. And in the Middle East. It's both and. Now, here's where the Greek comes in. I think this is beautiful. This will come into play next week when we talk about the how. Listen to what you shall be my witnesses is in the Greek. Eseste martus. You will be my martus. Sound like a word we don't like? Martyr? Martus. Here, here's what the Greek literally says. You will exist to be spent to me. I mean, if you're taking notes, write that down. That's good. That didn't come from me. Just, man, write that down. You will exist to be spent to me. Your life will be spent up in my direction. Where? Both Here. And on the back side of the planet. This is not a special calling for missionaries. This is not a special project that we do. We will live and breathe and work and vacation and raise children. And we will be spent for his namesake among the nations. That's it. There's no other choice. It's not multiple choice. It's not you do it here and you might do it there. Or you do it there and you don't do it here. We will exist. We will live. We will breathe. We will work. We will raise kids, and we will make, meet friends, and we will encounter people, and we will have recreation, and we will worship for his namesake among the nations. We will exist to be spent towards him in all the nations. And so there's no special project here. Missions is not a special project, and it's not a special calling. CrossPoint, you will exist to be spent for the nations for his namesake. That's our call. That's the imperative. No multiple choice. No special project. What does this look like? <clears throat> I want to show you and read you real quickly a story. I think this looks like... Um, it's a girl named Melody that, that I know. Um, 19 when she wrote this. I think she's 21 now. Um, this is what bottom line sounds like. I don't know if you can really see this picture, but this is her and her friend on uh, the Mekong River in between uh, what used to be Burma and Laos. Um, Not Christian. In fact, you can't go there on mission. And this is what she wrote as she's floating down this river. Today I found myself in a place I thought I'd never be, floating down the Mekong River on a speedboat with blacklisted Myanmar on my right and communist Laos on my left. I don't know how to put into words what was going through my heart and my head on that right. My father has really been redefining some things for me these past few weeks. What is safety? What is comfort? I used to think that safety meant putting up as many physical barriers as possible to keep away harm. I used to think comfort meant familiarity and being comfortable. I'm finding that for God's children, this is not so. Safety is being where he is and doing what he's doing. Comfort is knowing that he is sovereign and he is capable. Listen to that again. Safety is being where he is and doing what he's doing. Comfort is knowing that he is sovereign and capable, no matter where I am. He keeps putting this question on my heart Do I really believe the gospel? Do I believe the gospel enough to leave what I think is safe and comfortable and familiar? Do I trust him enough to let go of my plans and go to the unreached, unsafe, quote, unsafe places? Do I love him enough to obey him and follow him even if the costs are unimaginably high? Our tour guide told us the other day that government kills believers so he could never believe. Oh, Father, let it not be with me. I believe that he who calls is faithful. I don't know what he's going to do with my short little life. But I feel him preparing me for something. He's moving me to count the cost, so the question for me has become, which is more valuable? The cost or the gospel? That's bottom line. His namesake, among the nations, no matter the cost. Because it's not for me, it's not about me. It's about his namesake, among all peoples. That's bottom line. What else is bottom line? I think bottom line is C3. The church we started in commerce. That's bottom line. That's taking a pay cut or moving to commerce or not coming and staying where you feel comfortable. I mean, you know, I got to be careful here, but commerce? (laughs) Really? (laughs) I tell people all the time our first church plant was commerce, and they go, Commerce? What's in commerce? That's bottom line. That's going to the unlikely. That's going to the least reach. That's going to establish his kingdom. And that's making the adjustments for his namesake among all peoples. All peoples. So bottom line is here and there. It's both and. Bottom line is C3. Bottom line is packing up your family over 10 years ago and and not coming home. That's bottom line. I was going to read that email. Ben beat me to it. All of those things you heard, all the struggles, all the let your, not, let your heart not be there's plenty to be troubled about. But what keeps these families in those places is the bottom line. His namesake among these people. That's what keeps them there. Or otherwise they'd just come home and give up. That's what keeps them there, is the bottom line. His namesake among these people. It's hard and it's blah, but we stay. Why? For his namesake among these people. I have a Business friend that has a couple of businesses that have done very well, and bottom line, got a hold of him, and his goal is to live on fifty percent and give off fifty percent for his namesake among the nations. So he supports those that do go. That's bottom line businessman. I think the bottom line is L3 employees, contractors, teachers, and salesmen that make money for his namesake among the nations. The bottom line is L3 employees, contractors, teachers, and salesmen that pray big, intense, specific prayers for the uttermost parts, just like they pray for their car payment and their house payment and our building fund. They pray that intensely for the uttermost parts because that's God's dance move. That's what he's doing, and that's what we do. And they raise children, listen, they raise children with scope and target that is his name among the nations. When I read this about Melody, I, I think immediately about my daughter. Will, will Lily say those things at 19? My short little life, will she make those phrases? Is it, will she compare her life and value to the gospel? That's not easy to consider, but it's bottom line. Am I raising my children with the scope and understanding that he is moving? His paracritic dance move is this, my fame, my name, my popularity among all peoples. So am I raising up a child that owns that and lives that and maybe abandons dreams and plans for his namesake among the nation? What should we be doing when we go on a mission trip? What, what, what should missions be? And it should be the same thing we're doing right here. It's existing for his namesake among all peoples. There's no special project. We exist, and we go, and we live, and we breathe, and we go to places other than here, and it gets magnified. If you go this year, this is what's going to happen. It will get magnified because all your familiarity will be gone. The North American culture is gone. The North American church culture is gone. Chick-fil-A is gone. Dr. Justice isn't there you know what happens when you get to those places that you're reduced you're reduced to your bible and the spirit and it's good because that's what he's doing and that's what it'll do to you when you go and hopefully you get a taste of the outermost parts i hope you do you'll see your needs and once more clearly you'll see how ridiculous some of our silver bullet ministry things are and you will be more dependent on him because he's there And he is moving, and he doesn't need us, but that's his dance move. And we don't go tell our story. We go to tell his story. So here it is. Diagnosis. Are we a top-line church? Are we a bottom-line church? Let me say this. We will not be a bottom-line church unless we have bottom-line daddies and bottom-line mamas and bottom-line grandparents. That will make a bottom-line church. Finding other missionaries that are in uttermost parts to come and give them money and support them won't make us any more bottom line. We will be bottom line when dads and moms jettison this anxiety over keeping it out of the ditch and just existing and making that car payment and asking God to bless them for a better car because this one breaks a lot or we need another car or we need another something insert here. It will be made up of families who are bottom line, and who are raising children with this scope and this understanding. And it won't be easy, but it's it will be in rhythm with him. It will be in rhythm with what he's doing, and what he's gonna do. This bottom line is gonna happen. Why would we not align our children and our lives and our families and our careers with the bottom line? It's gonna happen. You can't say that about anything else. Watch how many times this week somebody says, Oh, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean that. Oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Listen for that phrase. You'll hear it this week. Oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. God can never say that. He won't say it. He can't. Bottom line is going to happen. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And this is going to happen with or without us. It's going to happen. So we'll either be in rhythm with him or we'll be out of rhythm. And we'll live North American top line lives. So are we top line? Are we bottom line? Some of us have been to the cities. Some of us have been to the Middle East to visit these families that we have. Some of us have been to Central Asia to visit the families that we have there. Some of you have been to other countries. You haven't been to necessarily our people, but you've been to other countries to do ministry and missions. (laughs) And so uh, just thinking of all the people I know... In the last five, six years, that have been to these people and been to other places, and then being generous and adding a few that I may not know about, 4% of this body has been to see and visit the uttermost parts with our families. 4% of our people have been. About 7%, counting all the other places. And listen, I'm counting Stephen, and Lori, and Krista. <laughs> I'm counting grandma and grandpa and aunt in that. They're supposed to go, right? <laughs> I'm counting them. And it's 4%. Are we bottom line or top line? We pray for them sporadically because there's a disconnect. Here's the disconnect. Stephen and Lori Roberts pray specifically and intensely. Why? Because they've been there, they live there, and their family. And I'm telling you, your prayers will be affected if you go. And all of a sudden, you will pray intense, specific prayers for the uttermost parts, for his namesake among these people groups and for these families. Because all of a sudden, you will have been there. And you will have smelled the food. And you will have met the people and looked into their eyes. And you can't get it out of your nose, the smell of the food. You can't get the looks out of of your brain. And then all of a sudden, it will change the way we pray if we go. There's $63,000, about $63,000 in our global discipling budget right now. $63,000 in our missions budget. It's not being spent. It's the fattest account we have and we can't spend it. We don't use it. Ben put this the greatest way. I love this phrase. He said, our global discipling budget has outgrown the deployment of our people. We've got money to send you. We've got resource. We've got the want to. We've got this It's right there. And we're not spending it. The larger scope, in 1983, North American Church, the North American Christian Church was sending 90% of missionaries to places that are, already have the church. And only 10% of people going on mission were going to places that don't have the gospel, don't have the church. But, and and in 2009, it's still 90% and 10%. That's something up there that for 30 years we've been okay with. Let's go to where it already is because there's response there. Not for his namesake, not for all peoples. Not just don't go to hard places because they're just not responding. That's not why we go. You see it? We go for his namesake among every tribe and every language. And if that's the bottom line, and if we're a bottom line church, we will not fall in line with the 90-10. We can't. If we're truly a bottom line church, we won't be 90-10 church. 90% of what, who, the people we send out of here will go to where his church isn't because of his namesake among all peoples. And I think also we believe this myth of safety. Safety is such a joke. We think that we're safe here today. And we think that because we're selfish and we're prideful. We we take risk all the time for ourselves, but we won't risk for him. And risking for him is right. If you don't own or don't have a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, you need to get it and you need to read it. It's a good one. There are many books that we recommend, and there's a short list that each of us have, and that's one of mine. Don't Waste Your Life. Chapter 5, risk is right. Risk for his namesake is right. But we risk all the times when we use that credit card. I don't got the money, but I'll charge it. Risk. You take out a loan for what you want. Risk. You drive Texas highways. Woo! Risk. <laughs> we do something at base camp when we send kids off. We send about five, 600 kids out all over the planet. And we do this at base camp. Mom and dads walk in and they are on pins and needles. They are freaking out and they don't want to show it. And they're hurting because they're about to send their baby off. And they don't have any control. They're going to get on a plane and they're going to go for his namesake among the nations to exist to be spent for his namesake. And that's hard. And we do this commissioning time where we ask the parents to pray for their children. And they do. They pray over them and they're emotional and they're distraught and they're dependent and it's good. And it's a good thing to be that way to care and to pray and ask for God to keep your kids safe in the scope of your namesake among the nations. Spend. And this is what we do. As soon as that prayer is over, we ask those, all those kids to stop and get their parents in a chair and pray for the safety of their parents as they drive Texas highways while they're gone. To pray for their protection as they move here. As they endure what we have here. Because James 4, you make plans and you think I'll do this and I'll do that. You think I'm safe and really your life is a mist and you won't do anything unless the Lord wills it. So comfort and familiarity and safety are all a big lie. You don't know what's going to happen. That Duncan booth might hit me in the head and kill me in a minute when I go load it. We don't know. Safety is a lie. This is my heart this morning is that not that you would be pressured or feel guilty or move for any other reason except that God's move is his namesake, all nations. And that maybe you would make adjustments and you would consider how we're raising our children, how we're sending our people out. We have two families that are in the uttermost parts right now. Crosspoint, we inherited both those families. We didn't raise them up. They were already doing it. We inherited them. Who might come out of here in five years to the uttermost parts? Because we're bottom line daddies and mamas, and we think bottom line first. Who might we raise up? We're still a relatively young church. I'm not going to beat us up too hard. We're young, but who is coming? Who's coming? Who will go? Not because you've been pressured in, and not just to spend global discipling money for travel. But who will go for his name's sake among all nations? There's a pattern in Scripture that's a few. Because if we all just quit our jobs and go, nobody would be here. (laughs) You see that? Paul and his gang went. There was a few that are called out. All of us can engage it. All of us are called to it. Some of us will pack up and go. But we won't if we stay top line. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us about what you're doing. And how you're doing it. God, I want to confess that um, I am not bottom line thinking with my children because I'm scared. And I'm more scared than I am in all of your namesake. And I pray that you would make us a bottom line church in his name. Amen.